Grab your Bible again. We're looking at Daniel chapter 9. God speaks it to us. Let's ask him to work. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we have such easy access to it. Uh, thank you that you speak it. Uh, please do work by your spirit in us. Uh, help us to hear and understand, uh, to understand and trust. Uh, ask that our trust would be marked both by confidence uh, and obedience in you, the God who speaks. Through your Son, Amen. What would you do if God told you what he was going to do? How would you pray? Well, we see what Daniel does in chapter 9. We see how he prays. How would you pray if God told you what he was going to do? Let's start with some Bible background. Uh, God warned Israel about exile and he promised a return. He warned about exile. Uh, Through Moses, the Lord God promised his obedient and trusting people long life in a plentiful promised land, enjoying the goodness of life with the Lord as their God, and experiencing peace under his protection from their enemies. At the same time as the promise, God warned. God warned what he would do if they would not listen to him and did not obey. He warned he would remove the blessings of life in the land as his people. And if they still didn't listen, he would scatter them out of the lands and into the nations. Over and over, through Moses and through generation after generation of prophets, God warned about exile. But he also promised a return. Uh, Through Moses, uh, through other prophets, Uh, the prophet Jeremiah uh, prophesied in Judah before the exile and uh, for 20 years after Daniel was taken into exile. Uh, Listen to the warning and promise God spoke through him. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land land an everlasting waste. And Jeremiah 29, verse 10, Thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. God warned Israel about exile and he promised a return. With that background, uh, look at the start of chapter 9 in Daniel. It's the year Darius defeated Babylon. It's the year God punished the king of Babylon. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, the bit the Babylon used to rule, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. He read what we just read. He read God's promise of a return after 70 years. So Daniel prayed the promise. Uh, That's probably uh, what he was so determined to keep praying, even when it meant 
Uh, he was under threat of being fed to lions. Now, it's, it's quite a long prayer, but at his heart, Daniel is saying, Oh Lord God, you promised place. Lord God, you promised place. Sinful human fathers uh, know what to do when their trusting children say, Dad, you promised place. How much more our Heavenly Father when his trusting children say, Lord God, you promised place. That's faith-filled prayer. It's asking God with firm trust to do what he promised to do. Daniel does it here. It's a pattern all the way through the Bible. Most of the prayers in the Bible actually are asking God to come through on his promises. It's not that David or Daniel or Paul think God is unreliable and forgetful. They know God is faithful. God always keeps his word. He always comes through in his promises. But God is pleased to involve his people in achieving his purposes. He's pleased to achieve his purposes through our prayers. There's no need for us to be original and inventive when we're working out what to pray. We can and should pray the things we hear from God. Ask our Father to come through on his promises and complete his purposes. That's what Daniel did, and God immediately answered uh, look, jump ahead down to verses 20 to 23. Uh, they show us how willing God is to answer that prayer. Verse 20, 21, uh, while Daniel was in the midst of praying, the messenger Gabriel came swiftly. Verse 23, Gabriel says, uh, word went out and was sent as soon as Daniel began to pray. God's not reluctant. He is generous and willing. As Jesus put it, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God delights to answer. Daniel began to pray, and right at the beginning, God commanded Judah's return. I think this is helpful. It helps us see how God's sovereign plan and our prayers connect. Uh, God's purposes don't make prayer pointless. He completes his purposes through and in response to his people's prayers. Daniel prays, Lord God, you promised place. God's immediate response is that he will do what he promised in response to Daniel's prayer. Verses 24 to 27 put that promise in perspective. Uh, these verses, they're, they're really difficult to understand. Uh, now, now, like think back last week, it's kind of it's straightforward to see how the vision in chapter 8 connects uh, to, to history because you've got this interpretation right there in the vision. It's explained. But there's no angelic guide to explain this, the, the end of chapter 9. I think actually it's deliberately vague. But the center is clear, so let's focus there. 
The, the center is clear. There are bigger, brighter blessings beyond. So verse 24 says that there, that what 70 weeks are for. Uh, listen for the word to as I read verse 24. 70 weeks are declared, decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. Daniel prays for the end to nearly, the end of 70 years, and God sends him a vision about a symbolic 70 weeks. The end of those weeks is going to be brilliant. Because you see what they're for. All those twos. It's going to be glorious, verse 24. The end of the 70 weeks is going to mean transgression finished, no more sin. Iniquity atoned for, past sin dealt with. Everlasting righteousness, God's righteousness, God's people's righteousness. Vision and prophet sale, the word of God confirmed. Uh, most holy place anointed, the, the place of meeting with God established. 70 symbolic weeks to bring all that. The kind of difficult bit is the 25 to 27, which break down the 70 into 7 plus 62 plus 1, that's 70. Uh, seven weeks delay until the anointed one comes, 62 weeks of destruction, war and desolation. Uh, one week when sacrifice stops, uh, for half a week anyway, until the end of the one who destroys. But step back and the Lord is saying he will answer Daniel's prayer. But God's people returning to Jerusalem is not the end. The Lord is telling Daniel and his Old Testament people, this return isn't it. It's not the end. The return after 70 years in Babylon will not bring in all the glorious things described in verse 24. It won't be the glorious eternal eternal kingdom described in chapter 2 and chapter 7. There's more up ahead, more trouble before the glorious end. Now, we stand in a privileged position compared to Daniel because we see the end clearly. In the Gospels, we see the glorious Son of Man coming through his death and resurrection to the right hand of the Father. Jesus put an end to sacrifice by being the one perfect once and for all sacrifice. Jesus now rules. We have heard his promise that he will return and bring his people home. We who trust him, we already draw near to God spiritually in heaven. We are already perfectly forgiven. And when Jesus returns, we will stand physically in his presence. Then we will be perfectly sinless, everlastingly righteous. We trust Jesus already experienced the bigger, better blessings. And at the same time, we wait for their fuller fulfillment. So let's go back and uh, look at what Daniel prayed. I think it's a lesson in prayer. So verse 4, Daniel describes, he begins by describing the Lord he speaks to. He's, he's aware of who he's praying to. Uh, the Lord, the covenant Lord Yahweh. The great and awesome God. First half of verse 4. At Mount Sinai, the Lord God promised he would be uh, Israel's God and they would be his people. When Israel stood ready to enter the lands, 
and more than a little scared that the people who were already in the land would kill them, Moses said, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 21, You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. When Daniel remembered the Lord God giving them the land and looked to the future, he said to God, And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Daniel is looking to the same great and awesome God for another deliverance. He prays to the same great and awesome God who has demonstrated his might and power. This time in, 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 has demonstrated his might and power in giving the land he promised to Israel. He prays to the same God who has been completely true to his word, verse 4. He keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. But Israel did not love God and keep his commandments. So in verse 5, Daniel speaks as one of the people he's part of. He says, we have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside. He stacks word upon word uh, to, to highlight the horror of their sin. But the true horror is actually who they sinned against. The true horror is whose commandments they have turned aside from. They have rejected the great and awesome, covenant-keeping, steadfast-loving Lord God. Now, you see, Daniel's confession, he's just beginning it here, but Daniel's confession is more than saying, hey God, sorry. He feels the weight of his sin and the weight of his people's sin. He speaks the weight of their sin to God. He helps us see the weight of our sin. If we skip over how horrendous our sin is, we'll skip over how costly the cross is. We'll miss how generous God is to forgive. If you don't see your sin, you won't see God's love. And once you see God's love in Christ, Christ's love at the cross, and know God's affectionate acceptance as his forgiven child, well, you can face the depth and depravity of your sin without being crushed by the weight of it. Actually, once you see Christ's love at the cross and know God's affectionate acceptance as his forgiven child, you can face up to the depth and depravity of your sin I know he is drawn towards you to help. Help with you with the forgiveness and transformation you so desperately need. Daniel helps us. He helps us see the weight of our sin so we can see God's love in Christ. Let's continue on way to sin. Verse 6. Uh, God spoke through his servants, the prophets, to their kings, uh, princes, and ancestors. God spoke to all the people of the land, 
and every one of them did not listen. Verse 7, the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, those near the promised land, those scattered out among the nations, they were treacherous toward the righteous Lord. Verse 8, they sinned against him. Verse 9, they rebelled against him. Verse 10, they didn't obey the Lord their God, even when he marked out the path right in front of them. They sinned against him. Verse 13, 14, the discipline Moses warned against came. So the discipline Moses warned about came. But still they didn't turn back. Still they disobeyed the Lord who had spoken to them. Daniel helps us see the weight of their sin. He knows they deserve what God gave them. And we see that because alongside what he says about their sin against God, Daniel describes the shame they deserve. It's woven through. Uh, So verse 7 speaks about their obvious and open shame. They're defeated in the promised land. They're scattered from the promised land. They're looked on with scorn. They're spoken about with contempt. Verse 8, shame belongs to them. They deserve it. Verse 11 to 14, the Lord has given it to them. It's worth reading again. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, verse 11, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Through Moses, the Lord God set life and death in front of them. The Lord said, choose life, but they chose death and curse. The Lord God warned them sin and rebellion against him would bring death and curse through Moses over and over and over since him, since him through other prophets. Daniel looks back through the nation's history and his own personal history and realizes that they deserve what God has given them. Verse 15, the God who rescued his people out of Egypt and made his name for himself by doing that has now made a name for himself as the God who faithfully follows through on his warnings. He's disciplined his wicked people. Now, at this point, it'd be easy to think Daniel's dug a hole for himself he'll never be able to get out of. He wants to ask God to do something. He's read the promise that after 70 years in captivity, God would bring his people back to the promised land. 
And he spent 10 verses of a 15-verse prayer talking about the horror of their sin and the shame they deserve. After saying all that, how can he possibly ask God for anything? He can't demand anything. He just talked about what they could demand, and they've already got it. Look what Daniel does ask for, verse 14, verse 16. Look at what God, Daniel asked God for. Verse 16. Let your anger and your wrath turn away. Verse 17. Listen. May your face shine upon your sanctuary. Verse 18. Open your eyes and see our desolations. Verse 19. Hear, forgive, pay attention, act, delay not. He's asking the Lord God for the return that he read about. God's people back in God's place under his rule and blessing. And he knows they don't deserve it. So look at the reasons Daniel gives for God, gives God to act. Verse 16, according to his righteous acts. According to his acts that display his good character. Maybe even his rescuing character. He's asking God to rescue because it shows God's righteousness. Daniel described their shame. Everyone thinks the Lord God's people are rubbish. But it's not just the Lord's, the Lord's people. It's the Lord himself. People think their God is rubbish because they're defeated in their land and scattered from their land. So Daniel prays, verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. See what he's doing? You hear the reasons he's giving God to act? He says, God, do it for your own sake. Not because of our righteousness, because we aren't righteous, but because of your great mercy. For your own sake. Because your city and your people are called by your name. He's asking the Lord to act in spite of, not because of, what Israel deserves. He's asking for mercy. He's asking for the glory of God's name. He's asking God to defend his reputation. To show people who think that the Lord God is a nothing, that he is in fact great and awesome. That he is, in fact, rich in mercy. He's asking God to show that he is great and awesome and great in mercy by keeping his promise to return his people to the land. As we've already read, God answered that prayer. Daniel prayed after reading God's plan for the time he lived in. 
how does that help us? Well, we aren't living 66 years into, I think it's actually a slightly symbolic 70 years that God has spoken about. We don't know when the end will come. But as God speaks the Bible to us, he does tell us about the time we live in. It's the time for Christ's people to be controlled by Christ's love. No longer living for ourselves, but for him who died for us and is raised again. Christ's love is love that saves and keeps and perfects his people. As long as it is called today, it's time to take care, lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart, leading us to fall away from the living God. It's time to exhort one another every day that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In this time we're in, he stretches it out. He stretches it out. He stretches out this time while we wait for the full experience of Christ's kingdom. And he stretches it out because he is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God tells us about the time we live in, and that can shape our prayers. On our planning page, there's a little sentence uh, about asking our Father uh, to give many of our mutual friends to Jesus for their eternal good and for God's great glory. Can you see why I encourage you to pray that sort of prayer? It's the sort of prayer to pray in the time God's placed us in. I don't know anyone I could ask our Father to give to his Son because they deserve it. I do know that God giving our friends and family who deserve judgment to Jesus, who rescues from the coming wrath, is the best thing that could happen to them. And it will show his great, that show, will show that he is great and awesome and great in mercy. So let's keep asking our Father to give many of our mutual friends to Jesus for their eternal good and for his great glory. And let's keep prayerfully speaking God's word to one another. Can you see how we can pray the same pattern for ourselves and for one another? We can keep asking our Father to keep working in us by his spirit through his word, killing off our sin, growing in us uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, tuning our heads, hearts, and lives to eternal realities so that people and watching angels see what he is working in us, see our good works, and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray those things. Oh, great God, we do acknowledge our own sin before you, that we cannot approach you uh, through anything good that we've done. Um, that, like your Old Testament people, we've heard your word, 
at times follow it but by your strength, but we've also failed to follow. We've rebelled. We've done what we know you've told us not to do. We have failed to do what we should have done. Father, please forgive us. Please do forgive us through Jesus who died for us. And Father, as those who know your rich forgiveness, your delight to save, your determination to work godliness and holiness in your people, as those who hear you speak about this time that we live in, Father, we ask that you would give many of our mutual friends to Jesus for their eternal good and for your great glory. Please show yourself to be the God who is great and awesome, who can turn hearts that are hard and stubborn against you, the God who is great in mercy, who turns such hard hearts and gives rebels who dishonor you the privilege of being your children. And Father, as we wait for the glorious day when we see our Savior, I do ask you to keep working in us by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, please kill off our sin. Please grow. Uh, please grow in us the fruit of the Spirit. Please grow us in Christ's likeness. Uh, please tune our heads, our hearts, our lives uh, so that uh, we live more and more Monday to Sunday in ways that display that you are the great and awesome God who has worked such things in us. for your glory and for the glory of your Son. Amen.